electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Gary Gensler, SEC chair, standing firm on crypto a month after he approved spot Bitcoin ETFs. This is a field that's been rife with fraud and manipulation. And look at all the bankruptcies. What he sees as the public good that's come from that approval. Fees came down dramatically. There was a bit of a investors benefited because there was a bit of a competition there. Investors also benefited from better disclosure. And the regulators warning about using AI to trade. You don't blame a dumb hammer if you're using that to defraud somebody. Plus, the market's inflation-fueled sell-off, a special election in New York's backyard, and one market-moving mistake, a typo in Lyft's earning release and a 60% stock pop. People would know immediately that that's wrong. People would. The emphasis on people. It's the bots. It's Wednesday, February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And uh, here we go. It's a Wednesday, hump day. We're looking at the U.S. equity futures. First up today on the podcast, well, we're not out of the woods yet when it comes to inflation. The Consumer Price Index increased 0.3% in January. CPI measures a basket of consumer goods and services like food, energy, even shelter costs. And the data came in hot, way hotter than expectations, thanks in large part to housing prices that just won't come down. Food prices, too, are still high, rising 0.4% on the month. The markets sold off on the data because investors have been waiting for the Fed to take its foot off the brake when it comes to the economy. If inflation stays high, higher than that 2% target rate, the central bank will wait longer to cut interest rates. So a sell-off. A pretty massive sell-off on Wall Street yesterday following that hotter-than-expected January inflation data. The Dow and the S&P each were down by about 1.4 percent. The Dow actually had its worst day since March of last year. The Nasdaq was down by 1.8 percent. Russell 2000 small stocks got hit even harder. It was their worst day uh, for the Russell 2000 since June of 2022. So you're going back a pretty long time over all of this. Uh, Treasury yields were not spared from any of this either. They they were up pretty sharply as uh, Treasury prices got hit. Uh, the two-year this morning is uh, is yielding 4.6%, just above that. The 10-year is at 4.285%, and all of those numbers picked up drastically. Everything moved right when we got that hotter-than-expected CPI number. Here's Double Line's Jeffrey Gunlick on Closing Bell yesterday with his reaction to the market move. I think the market has had tremendously overpriced the amount of cuts this year. It was down to almost a certainty of six. And it seemed that the Fed, since they weren't going to move in March, per the words of the chairman, that that means they're getting started in in May. And then there's this thing called the election that I I don't know, they probably aren't 
primarily focused on that. But to have six rate cuts between May and the end of the year always seemed like a lot to me. Yeah, a lot to him and a lot to other people, too. Um, even if you can start in May. But, but we totally knew that all last week and, and even the week before. We, we knew exactly what he just said. We did. We knew that there, we've been talking about it every day. I think day. yesterday raised We talked about every day that we're down to maybe three and much later. It was, infla- it was that inflation number. I don't even did. know if they can cut in, in May. If you right. get another hotter than expected number in February, and Leesman was saying yesterday that with seasonal adjustments, you might see higher numbers mm-hmm. both in January and February. If you get that, it's a lot harder to say, okay, we're ready to start cutting. Otherwise, why would we have asked at least 10 times, why is the market not selling off because now rate cuts are much later and, and much fewer. And every single person said because earnings have been so strong. And we actually said, so you don't need a rate cut for the multiple to expand. If the earnings part of the, right. of the PE goes up, you don't need it. So the market's not overvalued. But I, I, I still think we had this notion, maybe we were Goldilocks. We got this great economy you know, with, with jobs and GDP, and inflation seemed like it was headed in the right direction until that was rug was pulled out. Although I don't want to overstate I, 2% I percent either. either. We're because from you're, still ta- you're still talking about the down, the S&P. But the 10-year, the 10-year, really. Oh, I mean, that, that, yeah. that, that. Highest yields in two months. And, and it, we haven't seen it move like 20 basis points. Right. It, 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 it looks like something. It feels right. like something. And the question is, does it continue probably to write earnings more Probably broke more. through a, a re- resistance level where you could 5% could be back. Remember we were at 5 and then all of a sudden we just plunged from 5% on the 10-year. There's looking at two right. months. If we look at a little longer term, yeah, it gives yeah. you a little more context. Came down, I mean, it, it came down as quickly. I guess it could go up uh, just, just as quickly. But we don't want to right. overstate anything. Gunlack did make an interesting point about I mean, November is coming. Winter's coming. Well, that part we always knew. Shares of Lyft uh, soaring by more than 60%. This happened after hours in trading, but it was really for like a hot minute. It then pulled back after the CFO clarified that the earnings release that the company had put out contained an error at issue. The release said that one of Lyft's profit margins was expected to grow by 500 basis points in 2024. The margin was only expected to expand by 50 basis points. In fact, that's what it was supposed to be. Uh, That inflated margin likely triggered a buying frenzy by algorithmic traders. This all happening before most people could even digest the numbers. Earnings of 18 cents per share beat estimates by a dime. Revenue was in line and the forecast for current quarter bookings came in higher than expected. Lyft saying it expects to generate positive free cash flow for the full year for the first time. You would think most metrics in an earnings report, if you overstate it by a factor of 10, I mean, that, that, that's an exponential yep. mistake. You'd say people would know immediately that that's wrong. People would. The emphasis on yeah, people. But, when you, but also, if you're at 1.6 for gross margins and you're going up to 2.1, that's good. That's better. It's the right direction. But it's not out of the question that if you did something right, a, a, some other company could go from 1.6 to, to, to 6.6, right? Yeah, I mean, but this sure. is where I was going to go. 6.6 is not like, a, uh, it's not like a 40% margin, it's a 6% but margin. But I think the key is that but, it was but algorithm- Lyft wasn't I think it was algorithmic trading right. that was doing it. And, and you couldn't feel do good it with about Lyft. us versus it's too, AI. It's too, it's too it's hard a business. It's just an if then program, and everybody was hallucinating. I and mean, this is the AI problem. Right, that's what I right? think. Right, that's all it is.
That's all it is. So you would, It's an if-then if, program. If it sees per, that it's better than expected it, by would, 10 times. You not being a machine yet, yeah. we're still here. But you... I wouldn't have pressed any buttons because it would have been taking, you, it would have taken me a lot of time to try to figure it out. I don't know if... I, I would have said, wow. You know, Uber, it's, this is a really thin margin business and it's tough and they got, you know, you don't know how you're paying. You, uh, there's a lot of problems with trying to expand margins right. in the ride-sharing business. But 6%... Is not a rich margin number for a lot of customers. Yeah, I mean, if you thirty or forty percent. But if you understand what the business is, right? If you understand the business, there's no way Lyft's going up five hundred basis points. Let's hear it for Queens. Let's hear it for Long Island. NBC News projecting that Democrat Tom Suozzi has won the New York uh, special election to replace expelled for, former congressman. Uh, George Santos, uh, the election result flips a red uh, seat to blue, further narrows uh, the Republican slim majority in the House of Representatives. It means uh, that in a full House vote, Republicans can uh, now allow only two defectors to break ranks and still pass legislation along uh, party lines. A lot of people can't really tell what this means because of the storm. You Go ahead. Hit me with yours first. All right. Go ahead. You came up I with think first. that the storm stopped after by noon, so a lot of Democrats don't really get out of bed till till afternoon, typically. So they were all ready to go vote. And what did you say back to me? I said, well, you know, if we're going to play generalizations, then Republicans tend to be older and don't want to go out. And don't want to go out in the snow because they might slip and fall. So both of those things may have... Uh, Look, I, I think it was... What you're really probably dealing with is a known quantity. Swazi is a known quantity to that district. They just got burned by George Santos in a really bad way and embarrassed. So the idea that they were going to go with another unknown candidate who was put up, not great. Uh, Swazi, by the way, Biden did not um, come in and, and endorse him no. or, or come in and campaign for him. And Swazi actually took some steps to distance himself from Biden. He called him old. The question he is, also was very strong on immigration, which is a big problem in New York City right now. Right, right. But, well, the question is whether this really, I mean, 2022 was a Democrat, the big surprise. Yes. Uh, well, it wasn't even a red, who? wasn't even a red trickle, but to everybody. It was, I mean, they're supposed okay. to be a red wave, and it wasn't even a in red trickle. In purple districts, you are going to have moderates trying to distance themselves from either of the candidates at the top of the ticket to right. say, you know me, I'm a known quantity, here's what I will do she, for you. She was nine points ahead on, on the immigration issue, but she was still beneath him just on in the poll in the polling and then there was the snowstorm which nobody knows how that well the other really issue is democrats do people do say that democrats did yeah no but they, yeah. it's early voting before in the days leading right. up to it but all but, but democrats shovel yeah. their own driveways same okay yeah that's another that's a, you know. probably none of these generalizations no. are a good idea no no they're they're, <laughs> they're not i think it was a very unique situation with someone who burned this district and they didn't swazi is a known quantity right. and, and he is he is moderate they called him Speaking sanctuary it. city swazi is what oh, you know, now he's talking pretty toughly just, against well that's what no, they, they were saying that, but now he's been they, pretty tough saying that he well thinks he, anybody he wanna, any immigrants who have broken laws he thinks should right. be deported that's, um, so. speaking of close votes uh, house republicans voting to impeach homeland security uh secretary uh, May Orcas uh, yesterday, just the second time in U.S. history that a cabinet member has been impeached. The vote passing 214 to 213.
three Republicans voted with the Democrats, two Republicans, two Democrats were absent. House Republicans alleged that Mayorkas intentionally violated federal immigration laws and blocked congressional oversight of the Homeland Security Department. The Democrat-controlled Senate will now take up the issue and decide whether to send the trial to a special committee to hear evidence or dismiss the impeachment articles. No, they're not going to decide that. We know they're not going to do that. I it's, don't no, think they're no, going to. Nothing's going to happen. From the, yeah, it was the same three guys, same three uh, people last time. Mike Gallagher, who's now not running again. Right, not running. And Ken Buck and one other they, guy. They had two Democrats who didn't show up for the vote, and I think two Republicans. Scalise who were there, came yeah. back yeah. And, and put them over. And it was weird because one of the Republicans, the last time it happened, changed his vote to a, a no so that it could right. be, because a tie, you couldn't bring it up again. And they said they'd bring it up again, and they did, and they passed it. And it's the first time it's happened in you know, over 100 years. Nothing's going to happen from it, but... No, I know, but just the... You, we're constantly now using impeachment in this sort of way that just is... Isn't... Yeah. I think this is the first time it's been used by Republicans, isn't it? You, the Democrats used it a couple of times recently. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, Wall Street's top regulator, the chair of the Securities and Exchange Commission, Gary Gensler, on set on the markets, the crypto boom, the world's richest man, and so much more. We really don't want our advisors hallucinating on mushrooms, and you don't really want your advisors to hallucinate with AI. There's still a responsibility to ensure that you have accurate information that you're putting out. We'll be right back. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Stand by Joe, his mic, Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. It has now been just over a month since the SEC approved a slate of spot Bitcoin ETFs opening trading in the cryptocurrency markets to a wider group of investors. Bitcoin itself has jumped in recent days. This morning, you can take a look right now. It's over $50,000, sitting just at about $51,500, well, $51,601. Join us right now on the set. For the first time to talk about Bitcoin and a lot more is SEC Chair Gary Gensler. Good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you. So it's a, it's a month later, and I think we're all curious about how you think this is going, uh, not just in terms of what's happened to the price, but in terms of what you think is happening inside this market and, and, and whether you think it's, quote, unquote, working. Well, look, we, vo- we focus on investor protection and, of course, the issuers raising money. So uh, this product, we've had similar products in gold and silver ETFs, you right. call them. They're technically exchange-traded products. Um, 
and uh, we approved a group of about 11 at one time. This was not the first way you could buy uh, or express a risk in Bitcoin. Um, but as we like to say, we're merit neutral. Uh, this was not in any way like an approval of Bitcoin. That existed. It's right. just how to trade it in these exchange traded products. Um, we've had uh, both a futures-based uh, Ether and Bitcoin ETF uh, you know, before. And I'm curious sort of how you think that this is going to impact the price of these things, given that, by the way, interestingly, who, who was it Pomp who was just on? Yeah. Anthony Pompliano was just on uh, uh, earlier this weekend was saying that so few it's, Bitcoins it's are actually moving. And what we should think of that? In merit neutral, I, I think it's a little less than neutral, uh, Mr. Chairman. It, 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 it almost was, we, we called it grudgingly uh, when you finally got uh, it. We, from, from the court case sort of forced uh, in. Is it really just neutral? Or, or wasn't there a little bit of a, we're not sure about this thing? And buy or go away. Let me say it this way. Yeah. We're merit neutral if somebody's complying with the laws. Okay. So they're giving full, fair, and truthful disclosures to the American public who gets to decide on their right. investments. But okay. you, you're so but smart. You're at MIT, and, and people listen to your, uh, what you think about Bitcoin. And it, it is troublesome to, some, to, to me if I, if I look at it and I see all the merits of it, and someone that taught about it and understands it seems to have the, uh, an opinion that maybe it's, I don't know, pet rockish or something. <laughs> I, get your, I get your words about pet rocks and so forth. But I think we also have an investor education responsibility at the SEC, particularly about those uh, investments that are non-compliant with either the securities laws or commodities. or commodities laws and so forth. So here we have an asset class, all of these 15, 20,000 crypto tokens, yep. many of which, without prejudging anyone, many of which are actually something called investment contracts or securities and the platforms upon which you trade, the intermediaries. Right. They're not like in this building, NASDAQ, that's, that, that has protections and against fraud, manipulation, and the like. Um, Just seeing people lose their shirt on, with NASDAQ stocks, You can too. lose because there's risk. Right. There's risk right. in investments. But, but what we try to do as a society is take some of the fraud and manipulation risk out of the markets by regulation. Is, is that the problem, though? It's not necessarily Bitcoin, Bitcoin, the underlying asset, but more the froth and the potential for fraudsters to use it that has well, been Well, this is concern? a field, Becky, that's been uh, rife with fraud and manipulation. And look at all the bankruptcies. And you've, you've had on this set right. people talking about those various bankruptcies. And it's not just one entity. It's entity after entity after entity. And then investors are just lining up in the bankruptcy court. What do you make of, uh, this goes to the underlying piece of this, you've heard uh, Jamie Dimon say that he would close it down, that basically Bitcoin I, is, I've, I've you've seen the comments, right? It's not just that he closed it down, that he would say it's you know, used by drug dealers and used by folks who are doing all sorts of illicit and terrible things. There's very few things that trade today that people talk about like that. Now, there are obviously frauds and things that happen, but maybe not like this. Like the dollar is like a hundred times more. Well, I, I know so, that's your perspective, but I'm just <laughs> but, but I'm dollar, curious how you think about just, that. Just, that's true, though. There's, there's, this so, is how much has been money laundered with Bitcoin. This is how much. This is Bitcoin. This is do, this no, is no, dollar. Uh, yes, Joe. But I, I, look, here's the Jamie Dimon quote. I've always been deeply opposed to crypto, Bitcoin, etc. 
You pointed out the only true use case for it is criminals, drug traffickers, anti-money laundering, tax avoidance. If I was the government, I'd close it down. What is your opinion? And what is your opinion that we have something trading on the exchange for the public that has this type of use case, at least as, as described by you know, the president it, it, it of one is, of the largest the market financial institutions in the it's, company? It's the leading market share in ransomware. Uh, and that's publicly known. Right. You know, it's the, it's the, the token of choice for ransomware. Joe, if I can say the U.S. dollar, the euro, the yen, you have the whole uh, society using it as a medium of exchange. We buy our cups of coffee, as I see here. Right. Um, we get paid in dollars or yen or euro. And you have a whole central bank and, and support for one currency generally per economic uh, right. region. That we don't have here. So there is a very real economic difference. Which is part of, part of the attraction since it's decentralized and, and, and you, can't but, but, have, but, but, you can't have a profligate central bank. It's not that decentralized. It, well, I know, I know you're saying not. because of the ETFs, but, but, but really no, it no, is no, no, for it's not DeFi that and everything. Because look how finance tends towards centralization since antiquity. Right. So what do we have? We have a handful of three to six core so-called crypto I understand, exchanges. but the asset itself, the way that, you know, the, the, that's the, the distributed the ledger. ledger. That's right, how that's the how the ledger. And now, how many times do you have people on this show that say, I want to invest in something because how the books and records are kept? I mean, Joe, really? You, you, it's just an accounting ledger, a clever. It's a ledger that, that everyone has, that something. everyone has and can't be double counted. It, it, it's almost immutable. It, that's, that's why people think it has in so here. So you trust values. it more than an Oracle database? Or you trust I, I, it more, I than, it more than, than a lot of than a lot of that was the, the Bitcoin bulls say they trust it a lot more than, than the central bank that, that, the, that, that enables the, the fiscal authorities to spend money to the tune of $33 trillion. That's, that's everybody's investment choice. But and, and then I think about how many things can be used in a deleterious way. Of course, but it, that doesn't, that, that has nothing to do with the underlying thing that you're using itself. I mean, I can go run a, a car into a parade and, and run over, you know, 40 people. That doesn't mean I can, we shouldn't have cars. Does it? No, no, no. You, you should have cars. I wasn't going to use guns because, God, I don't want to trigger, so to speak, anyone on the set. But. but but when the use case of a particular thing that you're buying and selling as an investment is just speculative investment. How many of the 90 percent of the people that own Bitcoin are using it for ransomware? For There must, be, an, you, well, you there must be another you, use case that makes it so attractive to so many people. Speculative that, investing. Right. Speculative okay. investing. That's that's what. OK. Let me ask a separate question, which is just to pivot this, because I think the next sort of order event question is what happens to Ethereum. For those in the crypto world, they all want to know how you're thinking about that. And really, if Ethereum is a security, you know, how does that analysis differ from how you would think about Bitcoin? I, I, what we did in January was cabin to one set of filings. We have other right. filings. You're absolutely right. Uh, in front of us, but I'm, I'm not going to prejudge it for you or the audience. That's something that a five-member commission uh, discusses and uh, right. reviews. Let me, ask, let me ask you a different question, which has to do with indexing. So much of our market is focused on indexes. And you focus historically, or at least the SEC's historically focused on individual securities, right? Individual companies and the like. I'm curious whether you think that the system as it is today 
actually is working in the right way. Meaning a lot of the valuations today you could ascribe to the fact to the fact that certain securities are in certain indexes. It, was it, relate, the, it relates to what's happening to Bitcoin, by the way. So, so it's a great innovation going back decades ago, Jack Bogle, and right. as you know, you probably interviewed him when he yes. was still alive, mm -hmm. uh, invented this idea that you could democratize finance, that rather than buying individual stocks, you can buy the basket. Uh, why buy the needle when you can buy the haystack, he would say. And so it was very cost efficient, and it's a way the American public can... Uh, really participate right. in the stock market at very low cost. It's also led to some concentration, some centralization right. in finance, because when you look at the large index providers, if you're right. in the index or not in the index, it can be very And these days it's a handful, but the other piece of it is, to these days it's a handful of stocks which often represent a majority right. I of mean, the entire index. The reason that's you're looking, also, Gary, that's Gary, the reason you're looking for individual value. The reason you're looking for the needle in the haystack is to find the needle to get rid of all the hay. I mean, who wants the haystack? I, that makes that makes no sense. Well, but actually, economists, <laughs> Joe. I mean, you know this. Have studied it. But I thought about it. It's like it's the safety. No, factor. but they've studied but, it that you get the no, benefit of diversity. And, and, and Vanguard does you not. Get 500 guesses. Vanguard of doesn't have a big point, right? That's. They don't. They didn't. Vanguard do the, is not doing it yet. They, they didn't. They're, they're not the doing it. Ones really, the the right. only of the biggies that didn't do it, correct? Yeah, I don't think Vanguard. Actually well, they're did. not. They were not. Uh, they did not submit an application. Right. Exactly. Do you expect, if we're all sitting here at this table together in a year from now, that this dozen or so approved ETFs, that there's only like two or three gets even more concentrated, or do you think that there's going to be, you know, dozens of these things? That's really up to the market to decide. But what, what you saw when this happened is fees came down dramatically. There was a bit of a investors benefited right. because there was a bit of a competition there. Investors also benefited from better disclosure because right. they, they, they have to do th things called registering with the Securities and Exchange Commission on those products. And investors got the benefit of any surveillance by the various stock right. exchanges. Um, but again, these are highly speculative, risky assets in which to invest. Uh, let me pivot again to a, a big headline uh, that happened actually last night. We just talked to the CEO of the company, CEO of Lyft, just moments ago. Uh, that stock popped in this remarkable way, in part because in the press release, they had an extra zero um, on uh, their margin for the quarter. What does the SEC think about something like that? Is that something where you'd fine a company for that kind of mistake? Um, is that something where you say that's part of the business? Obviously, investors who bought on that, it might have been algorithmic trading. I want to actually talk to you about the impact of that as well. Okay, I think it's a responsibility of companies to ensure that they put out information to the public that's accurate. Um, and I don't, I can't speak to that one matter. I don't even uh, you're telling me something I learned about a half an hour ago. Um, but in general, companies are supposed to put out accurate information to the public. But when, when they don't. If it's an accident. Let's say it's an accident. Let's say a correction happens immediately. We can take Lyft out of this. I'll, I'll say that the, uh, the, the Sorkin, Quick, uh, Kernan and Co. 
we, we accidentally put well, out a Kernan press release. especially. Kernan especially. We put out a, a, a press release accidentally with some misinformation. We corrected it within 10 minutes. It was uh, clearly not intentional on our behalf or on our part. Um, are, is somebody from the SEC calling us today and saying, hey, guys, we got a problem. We're going to have to send you a font. Like, what is the, what is the, how does the SEC think about these things? Let, let me see if I can just generalize and pivot to artificial intelligence. I gave a talk yesterday up at Yale about this. And so it's sort of like, what is the liability or responsibility of somebody using an AI model? And the AI model might hallucinate. Right. And, and look, we really don't want our advisors hallucinating on mushrooms, and you don't really want your advisors to hallucinate with AI. There's still a responsibility to uh, ensure that you have accurate information that you're putting out. And, and with the use of AI, um, that you have certain guardrails in place, especially if you knowingly know that it might hallucinate what if it or was just know a human that it error, might front-run in a market. I mean, that's an interesting idea. This morning I was looking at it, and the, 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 it was algorithmic trading that bought into this. Most humans didn't react fastly enough, or quickly, wouldn't have reacted quickly enough. If you had a human eye checking it over, you might not have thought it was rational to have a 500 in, uh, basis point increase in your, yeah. in your projections for your margins. And, and Becky, I think, uh, and again, stepping aside from that one event last night, I yeah. really just learned about it. But whether it's a mistake or whether it's intentional, because also you could have people trying to defraud the market by putting out fake news releases. Right. Sure. And, and you know, so bad actors have a new tool to try to right. defraud the market. But and that it's to protect the public from that. How much empathy do you have or sympathy do you have for al algorithmic trading, though? I mean, if it's... Well, it's a tool. It, it, it's existed. Algorithmic trading has existed for decades. It's getting faster, less, less latency. And it's also getting right. more sophisticated. The math is getting more sophisticated. And so if you're deploying a model, you want to make sure that the model has certain guardrails, really to protect your bottom line and to protect the market. Let me ask you about another big topic that we've been talking about for the past week and a half now, which is uh, the ruling in the Tesla case around governance and the compensation that Elon Musk was paid. And I'm curious about it because part of the ruling uh, goes at the idea that the board of Tesla was, quote, unquote, not independent, even though that these, these, quote, unquote, independent directors were supposedly independent, that they weren't, and that they therefore did not negotiate in good faith, and that when they then endorsed this compensation agreement, the shareholders effectively, I think the judge would say, I don't know if she would use this word, were effectively defrauded um, and therefore voted with, with misinformation. What say you? Because, I, I, well, I think part of it is, all of these companies are trying to comply with the rules around independent directors, et cetera. And where's the SEC play in this? So it's, uh, the matters you talked about, I'm not going to speak about. But generally, those matters are a matter of state law and state corporate governance. The SEC has some role with regard to corporate governance about the disclosures around executive right. compensation, the disclosures about uh, the controls of the company. and and the like. Uh, but th th those matters that you're speaking about really are generally a matter of state law. But, but to a large degree, that case was about defrauding investors, shareholders, that I would assume come under the purview of the SEC and whether they're being provided with the right information. Because 
underneath this entire case is this idea that these directors are, uh, they're telling the public that they're independent, but in fact that they're not. And is the SEC supposed to step in in those roles and say, you know, here's a problem here? Uh, again, I hope the right. viewing public understands that it's the chair of right. a law enforcement agency. I'm not going to speak about right. any one circumstance, one company, and, and, and certainly other people's cases in right. state courts. But yes, you're right, the Securities and Exchange Commission is a disclosure-based uh, uh, regulatory agency and it's about ensuring that the information is accurate material information right there's not omissions and that we protect the public against fraud manipulation whether it's in in these securities or it's in yes Joe crypto securities right. okay I, I, I got a more job. complicated one for you and I don't know the truth of the matter but there have been lots of reports mostly in the Wall Street Journal uh, suggesting that Elon Musk is taking uh, illicit drugs. I don't know if this is right or wrong or otherwise. The question I have, though, is the SEC supposed to look at this? Is somebody supposed to look at this? Is someone not supposed to look at this? Is the board supposed to look at this? What, how would you think about it? Uh, no, I, I, I'm serious. You, 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 run, you run this governing body over, over investors. And I think there are some investors who are trying to understand what they're supposed to think of these articles. Look, again, step... I, I understand you have a role to play as a, a very talented on-air financial uh, journalist. I've got a role to play that's also chairing a law enforcement agency. So I, right. with respect, I'm not going to be pulled into that. But we are disclosure-based. That companies discuss their material risks, uh, that, that investors get to decide based on those material risks whether they want to invest in that company or sell the stock. Should companies that have CEOs that use illicit drugs include, <laughs> He's good. He's include good. this in some kind of warning? No, I, I, you don't I, think I'm that's, just that's asking the question. Privacy issue. You, I don't know. You know how many drunk CEOs there are I'm that sure get up first thing in the, the morning? Way, I'm not here to, to. I'm not sure the stories are even. All of Silicon Valley is experimenting with hallucinogens. They, they you, you should have maybe at some point. I probably should have. I'm not kidding. You get to know it yourself might, a little bit. It might help my ability Introspection. To do the show. Yeah. Look, you, you mentioned hallucination. It's, I'm going to come back to artificial <laughs> intelligence. It makes it easier. Smart. But like, if a company is using artificial intelligence in a material way, it's really about right. the bottom line, their prospects and the like, right. and that, that program has a tendency to hallucinate. They have to consider those risks and whether it's a material risk to investors. Can I right. just say, the last time I heard you kind of come back to an issue that you were very centrally focused on was crypto. So this sounds to me like you are issuing a message. The reason you're here today to talk okay. about this is you want to issue a message to any company that is going to engage with artificial intelligence that they will be held responsible yes. for any problems with that AI. Well, it, in two ways, Becky. It's in if you're an investment advisor giving advice to the public or you're a broker dealer using it uh, to remember you still have a responsibility to put your investors ahead of the advisor or the broker dealer so that's that's a conflict issue but also if you're using it that you still have responsibilities not to defraud the public and so that's about sort of having some guardrails to make sure you don't front run meaning take an investors uh, uh, choice to buy or sell a stock and try to get ahead, ahead of, of them, it. put your right. interest ahead of them and so forth. So uh, yes, I do think that that's important because we, regardless of the tool you use, whether you right. use a hammer 
whether you use just a little bit of algebra or you use artificial intelligence. But it's not okay to blame a dumb AI program that did something we weren't anticipating. That's right. You don't, you don't blame a dumb hammer if you're using that to defraud right. somebody. Um, I'm just trying to say AI right. is a tool. But when you use that tool to do bad things. Oh, my God. Now you're, the AI, it's okay for AI, but not Bitcoin. Well, how do you see them? No, I'm just saying you'd say it's, it's a tool. But if you use it to do nefarious things, then, it, but it's, then you're saying it's not AI's fault. Well, it's the same case. Because you just made the same case with, for Bitcoin. With, with Bitcoin's a non-security. But if it's... If, if, now you're splitting hairs again. No, no, I'm not, Joe. I'm and just, and for every right. Jamie Dimon, I can raise you one Paul okay. Tudor Jones, um, one, they're, they're, hold on. one Larry Fink, one Stan Druckenmiller, one, I mean, okay. I'll, I'll raise you all, Peter Thiel, Mark Andreessen. They, they don't we, run the SEC. I um, think we've established that right. Joe is not merit neutral. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's right. Chair Gensler, uh, they're playing the music, but I do have to ask you one other question, which has to do with ESG. There's been a remarkable backlash on it. Even a backlash around disclosures, around climate, and some of these other metrics that you've been talking about. And I'm curious how you think about that, because you're seeing it from different states and, and investors, pension funds, and the like, and it's become political. Andrew, if you look at the top 1,000 companies, the sort of the Russell 1,000, about 90% of them are already talking about climate risk somewhere in their uh, annual filings. A little over half are already disclosing something around their emissions, greenhouse gas emissions. I think therein lies a role for the SEC to help bring consistency, comparability in that decision usefulness. But we are not a climate regulator. We are not right. a climate risk regulator. We're a securities regulator. Right, but there are some companies now that are scared to disclose some of their, their pledges or other things because if they do, which you would say they should. No, 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 I do not. We, we just then, say, there's, then they're saying that certain states, Texas, Florida, and others are gonna say, you can't do business in our state or we're not going to invest but in you or what have Andrew, you. Andrew, there are many companies already making their disclosures. And if they're material, you have to make sure right. that they're accurate and they're not misleading. That, that's, that's the same role as whether it's about the executives and it's the same thing if, about these right. risks if they're material. Okay. This has been fabulous. Come on back to the table again. It's great to see you in All person. Right. Good to be thank with you. Thank you very, Andrew, very much. Becky. Chair Gensler, thank you. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. And that is Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And tell us what you think. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, take a minute, look at your phone, and hit tap to rate. You can rate Squawk Pod. Go on, give us five stars or even write a brief review with your thoughts. It takes a few minutes and it helps other listeners discover this podcast. That's it. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys.
from their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.